future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. everybody welcome welcome to yet another night another monday night yes it is monday january 24th 2022 i have to say that nice and slow so i get myself used to it my mouth is still not formed correctly around the year anyways welcome to raging chickens out to coop live this is kevin mahoney editor and founder of raging chicken i'm not sure why the music just cut out there but uh it did um but uh this is kevin mahoney editor and founder of raging chicken on out to coop live we talk to progressives activists and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyards from across the country on Friday, Sean Kitchen and I break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And check out our occasional Wednesday show with Cyril Michaleko. Cyril is a progressive columnist of the Bucks County Courier Times and the Intelligencer. And he joins me to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, international politics. You know, we got a bunch of stuff going on. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can help support this show right now by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Simply head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron today. You can also help out the show by heading on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Hello, everybody on YouTube. And smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. You can check out information on how to join our Discord server. Um, you can check that out. And for more PA Progressive Talks, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, wherever you get your streaming content. And check out all his amazing shows over at the RickSmithShow.com for the latest across all his platforms. His show, you know, when he's on in WBAI in New York, when he's on at KPFK in, in Los Angeles, when he's on in Chicago and Minneapolis, and right here in our own backyard in Pennsylvania. Um, check that out. And you absolutely have to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house, and they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. It's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And attention gamers, yes, it's the new year, that's for sure, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the best gaming place that you can go to. Yeah, check out The Game In, that's with two N's, that's The Game In, it's a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, and kids get a discount with every A on their report card. Check them out on their Facebook page, and follow them on Twitter at, at The Game In, that's with two N's, at, the, at with The Game In on Twitter. And if you're looking for something special, something hard to get, shoot them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com, that's thegameinpa at gmail.com. Com. Special shout out goes to, as always, Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. With two ends. And once again, don't forget. Anyways, at today's show, uh, a little fly by night today, I got to say. Um, I had, uh, here's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, <clears throat> no, seriously. But uh, it's been a bit of a chaotic day around here. Um, the my semester begins today. Um, I'm I'm not technically teaching today. Like I'm not in a classroom today, but I have one online class that I've got to do a bunch of prep for. And um, so I've been trying to upload this video, just a kind of welcome video for the past couple of days, <laughs> and it just uh, would get stuck. Seventy percent uploading. Just stay there. Um, and then it turns out there was a glitch with the video um, because their Zoom was having problems and all this. So um, I said, you know what? So I had to re-record all my video stuff um, and using this little platform right here. That's right. Um, I use OBS uh, software um, to stream this podcast and to record it. So I just said, you know what? I'm just going to use the uh, OBS as a way to um, put these videos together because it, every other thing that I've been trying is just <laughs> not really working. So here we go. Here we go. 
Um, so I thought what I'd do tonight is, you know, just kind of touch base on kind of a few things that are kind of going on. Um, got lots of messages from people this week, um, last couple of days in particular about stuff that's happening. And um, I just thought I'd, you know, pick up on some of the things that have been sent to me and uh, share them with you. And maybe talk about what might be going on in your mind. If you got thoughts, things uh, kind of rolling around up there, right? You know, we're going to have some uh, some changes coming up too as well. I should talk about this right now, actually. Um, I'll come back to it on Friday. Um, apparently, Sean is going to be running into some conflicts uh, just in terms of the timing for our Friday show, our Friday politics roundup. So um, he'll be on the show on Friday, this Friday coming up. But after that, it's going to be a little touch and go in terms of uh, how we're going to figure out a schedule. Uh, because, of course, my semester is starting now, too, as well. Um, but this is something on his end that can't be helped uh, when somebody moves a required kind of meeting and you got to be there. Then, well, that's what we've got. So um, I know, you know, I don't figure on most people's totem poles. So, <laughs> so, so whatever. Uh, here it is. So we're going to have to figure what that's what's going to happen with that. Uh, that's been preoccupying my brain a little bit um, just in terms of uh, how we're going to work that out, um, what we're going to do on that Friday show. And I, I got a couple ideas. Um, I got a couple. Uh, well, I've got a few ideas um, and I will share them with you once I get my head wrapped around it and see if this um, this would actually work out. So we shall see. So that's going to be kind of happening there. Um, there's a ton of stuff that is going on in Bucks County that I just I, I'm not going to have enough time to kind of get into tonight. But um, it's just it's just a, it's a crazy making here. We've got uh, there's a school board meeting happening at Penridge that um, uh, here. I'll kind of read you one of my uh, kind of notes from the other. So there's the school board uh, is tomorrow night, um, which is an unusual Thursday meeting. Um, a rare Thursday, or I'm sorry, Tuesday meeting, rare Tuesday meeting. And it's uh, looks like it just may be a little bit contentious because uh, Joan Cullen, you know, our kind of uh, right wing extremist leader that leads the school board. She is the president for her first meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, after the school board and the and the administration has been taking books off the shelf, removing books that um, our children are allowed to see. Um, I am sure that there's going to be some parents that are going to be there for that. Rampant cases of COVID that have been going through, particularly the middle school and the high school. Um, I'm sure that is going to be an issue that's going to be discussed, especially since uh, the Penridge School District is not following um like all the CDC guidelines, like in the sense that, you know, you can wear a mask if you feel like it, right? That's kind of the policy around here. And, you know, if you get COVID, if, you know, we'd prefer you to tell us about it, but, you know, we're not going to check or anything. And, you know, and of course, you know, if you're sick, you know, instead of coming back in five days or 10 days, like, oh, we're just, you can come back in three, even if you're sick. Right. So things like this are going on in the Penridge School District. Um, that mirrors a little bit what's happening. And I'll talk about that tonight. Hold on. A little bit over at Central Bucks, too, as well. Um, they're having their own uh, issues there with COVID protocols, as we've talked about on this show before. So um, there is that. And there's just some other kind of, you know, crazy news going around. So uh, let's see if we can kind of dig in a little bit. Um, well, since I just mentioned Central Bucks, let me kind of pick up on an article here that uh, just kind of came out. Uh, let's see. This is today. Um, this is posted. This is an article by Kate Fishman. Um, she's a, a member of the Patch staff from the Doylestown area. And so the title of the article, school board members said communications to board haven't dwindled in recent weeks <clears throat> or have dwindled in recent weeks. She believes that's because parents don't feel heard. Um, and that is um, basically under the title, Central Bucks seems unlikely to address letter change of COVID plan. I recall we talked about this last week where the um, Doylestown Health basically said to the Central Bucks, look, you got you to follow the CDC protocols, <laughs> please. We're overwhelmed. And uh, the school board decided just to kind of, you know, ignore that. Um, you also recall, well, let me just read a little bit for you. So again, this is posted earlier today, just about a couple hours ago. So nearly two weeks after Doylestown health experts urged the Central Bucks School Board Director, uh, 
I'm sorry, urged the Central Bucks Board of School Directors to reconsider the district's COVID-19 plan in the name of public health, the school district's health and safety plan seems unlikely to change. Board members Karen Smith, Mariam Mahmoud, and Tabitha Delangelo reached out to Board President Dana Hunter by text to ask for a special meeting in light of the hospital's message. The three Democrats had pushed for changes to the health and safety plan in the most recent meeting, too. Quote, the majority of the board do not want to change the health and safety plan, Hunter wrote in response, according to text messages between the four, the four published by the Bucks County Courier Times. Quote, the repeated requests to call a special meeting aren't going to change that, unquote. Hunter was referring to a clause in the board's policies which specifies that the board's president can refuse to hold a special meeting unless the majority of the board calls for one. Smith said she had... Uh, she has not actually heard from the board's five other Republican directors on the issue. The current plan stayed in place after the Central Bucks School Board's January meeting when the board voted six to three along party lines against updates that would have put the plan in line with the CDC, Pennsylvania Department of Health and Pennsylvania Department of Health guidelines. I'm sorry, Pennsylvania Department of Education and Pennsylvania Department of Health guidelines. In the letter from Doylestown Health, President and CEO James Brexler and Chief Medical Officer Scott Levy asked board members to consider immunocompromised community members and those with comorbidities in reassuring and reassessing quarantine and isolation times for those who are exposed to or test positive for COVID-19 in the mask optional district. Smith said she finds the silence from the board's majority upsetting. So there's that. <laughs> that is happening right over here. Um right down the street here in uh, Upper Bucks. Um, this is another piece that I thought, well, actually, you know what? Let's stick with the, let's stick with uh, Bucks County here for a minute. Um, let me see. I've got this one piece I wanted to bring up. So we also know that we've been seeing these slate of book bannings, right? Um, both in the Penridge School District, um, other school districts around the state. We saw the issue in York. Um, we're seeing we're starting to get some pushback um, from here. The um, earlier today, also the Guardian published this great piece, and I want to kind of go over it a little bit with you, and I'll um, try to remember to put some links in the show notes here. So this is an article by Adam Gabbett um, in the Guardian. And the title of the article is U.S. Conservatives Linked to Rich Donors Wage Campaign to Ban Books from Schools. Experts say trend is accelerating as groups push to ban the works that often address race, LGBTQ issues, and marginalized people. Okay, so here's a little bit of this article for you. Conservative groups across the U.S., often linked to deep-pocketed right-wing donors, are carrying out a campaign to ban books from school libraries, often focused on works that address race, LGBTQ issues, or marginalized communities. Literature has already been removed from schools in Texas, Pennsylvania, Utah, Virginia, and Wyoming. Librarians and teachers warn the trend is on the increase as groups backed by wealthy Republican donors use centrally drawn up tactics and messaging to harangue school districts into removing certain texts. In October, the Texas State Representative Matt Krause sent a list of 850 books to school districts, asking that they report how many copies they have of each title and how much has been spent on those books. The Texas Tribune reported that the books included two by Ta-Nehisi Coates, LGBTQ Families um, by Leanne K. Curry-McGee, and Pink is a Girl Color and Other Silly Things People Say, a children's book by Stacy and Eric Dragus, uh, Dragaset. Krause's list sparked panic in schools, and by December, the district in San Antonio said it was reviewing 414 titles in its libraries. In Pennsylvania, the Central York School Board banned a long list of books, almost entirely titles by or about people of color, including books by Jacqueline Woodson, Ijeoma uh, Aluo, sorry, I'm butchering that, and, um, and Ibram X. Kendi, and children's titles about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr.'s Let's Just Call It What It Is. Every author offer on that list is a black voice, one teacher told the York Dispatch. Four high schools in Utah's Canyon School District removed copies of at least nine books, um, the Deseret News reported, including Gender Queer by um, Maya Kobabi and The Bluest Eye, a book by the Pulitzer uh, winner Toni Morrison 
that addresses racial and gender oppression, and Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez, a story about romance in a racially divided 1930s Texas. Groups purporting to be grassroots efforts have frequently led the charge, petitioning school boards or elected officials to remove certain books. Though some of these organizers present themselves as a local effort that sprang up around groups of parents united behind a cause, many of the groups involved in banning books are in fact linked and backed by influential conservative donors. Most of the books relate to race or gender equality at a time when some Republicans are mounting an effort to prevent the teaching on race in schools by launching a loud campaign against critical race theory and academic discipline that examines the ways in which racism operates in U.S. laws and society. Deborah Caldwell Stone, director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom, said the numbers of attempts, attempts to ban books has soared through 2021. Quote, What's unique is that it appears to be an organized effort by a number of advocacy groups to activate members in local chapters to challenge books in school libraries and public libraries in the United States, she said. Quote, we've noted that there are a number of groups like Moms for Liberty, Parents Defending Education, No Left Turn in Education, that have particular views on what is appropriate for young people, and they're trying to implement their agenda, particularly in schools, but also taking their concerns to public libraries as well. Then Caldwell Stone said the ALA received 156 book challenges, an attempt to remove or restrict one or more books in 2020. In the last three months of 2021 alone, the organization saw 330 book challenges. In most instances, there is a common format. According to the conservative groups, one parent of a child at a school has spotted an allegedly unsuitable book and has raised the alarm, but the movement is far from organic. The name Moms for Liberty might suggest a homely kitchen table effort. In reality, Moms for Liberty is associated with other supported, supposed grass, grassroots groups backed by conservative donors who appear to be driving the book banning effort. Moms for Liberty groups are promoted on the website of Parents Defending Education, another conservative group, and in May, Moms for Liberty joined with PDE to write a letter to Miguel Cardona, the U.S. Education Secretary, expressing concern over federal efforts to include teaching about the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans in U.S. society. Moms for Liberty did not respond to a request for comment. Now, why is this important? Well, because Moms for Liberty is uh, making its case right here in Bucks County and is making some inroads. So I want to share with you a little bit of uh, what's been going on here. This is courtesy of Cyril Michaleko. Um, Cyril, if you've been following his account, if you haven't been following his account, you need to. Um, but there's a couple tweets he put out earlier. Um, this is, I mean, this is a few days ago, but still important. So the far right Moms for Liberty cell in Bucks County and the PAO one is trying to open Turning Point USA clubs and Central Bucks schools, middle and high schools, and a, a group the ADL and ADL Philadelphia notes has, quote, links to extremist ideology and hate speech. Let's hope that Superintendent um, Dr. Lukabau rejects hate. And he includes a couple tweets here that there's one by Eric C. Maz says, because children or teens and bucks were the most affected by the school's liberal policies, masking, virtual schooling, distancing, asinine protocols, taking away God given freedoms. We have decided to start a freedom school club organization. Parents, we are kicking off a Turning Point USA Charlie Kirk organization in all local Central Bucks School District high schools and middle schools. This is a constitutionally conservative club. We'll help in other districts as well. Please DM me if your child would be interested. Link for info. And the link goes directly to Turning Point USA. Then Howard Mark responds, TPUSA, what we believe. The United, Ameri United States of America is the greatest country in the history of the world. The U.S. Constitution is the most exceptional. You know, you get the idea, right? Capitalism is the most moral, blah, 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 blah. Right? So that's one of the things. They're directly call, you know, directing calls out. Uh, here is a tweet um, from Abby Renee. Hello, my name is um, Abby Wigton, and I'm the senior field representative for Turning Point USA in the area. I'm trying to form high school chapters, and I'm having a hard time finding kids interested. If you have any kids in high school interested in starting a chapter, please send me uh, a DM. We can schedule a time to talk further. Right. Again, this whole idea is there, even there, the, the mission, we're having trouble finding kids that are actually interested in this stuff. 
right? Well, it's because it's not being initiated by kids. It's being initiated by right-wing extremist parents who are using their kids as pawns in a game of, you know, political execution, basically. An attempt to kind of carve out any knowledge, any discussion of kind of people of color, of oppression, of the real history of the United States. So there you go. Um, Cyril's been doing just some bang up reporting on this all kind of all around. So do make sure that you're kind of following his stuff. Let me see. I got one other thing here. Let me see. Yeah. So then we've got that. So, you know, it's the same old, same old stuff that's going on. Now, what's really interesting is um, this also seemed in my head, at least to connect to what we saw in D.C. Um, just yesterday. I mean, if you're kind of seeing this on the news, you might have come across in your feeds that there was a, an anti-vaccine activist march in D.C. Right. Um, and D.C., mandates um, um, coronavirus vaccines, but they went there to protest these mandates. All right. And this is from Yahoo News. I guess this was originally coming from, from the Washington Post. It says thousands of protesters from across the country, including some of the biggest names in the anti-vaccination movement, descended on the nation's capital Sunday for a rally against vaccine mandates. Almost two years into a coronavirus pandemic that has killed more than 860,000 Americans. The gathering on the National Mall was a jarring spectacle. A crowd of demonstrators, many unmasked, decrying vaccine mandates in the middle of a city that has adopted a max in vaccine mandates to reduce sickness and death from the surge of the virus's Omicron variant, which has been which has battered D.C. for weeks. Organizers had estimated that 20,000 people would attend the rally, marching from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial, according to a permit issued to the National Park Service. A smaller crowd of several thousand had um, arrived at the mall by early Sunday afternoon. Right. And then it kind of goes on to kind of discuss this. And so why do I kind of put all that stuff in one spot? Well, I put all that stuff in one spot in part because. Um, oh, this is the one I was looking for. Cyril, thank you for just dropping that in. This is the one that I was looking for earlier. <clears throat> um, um, there is a uh, Cyril was just dropped in a, a note. There's a. a a podcast uh, from Boise State Public Radio News that's called Extremely American. Um, Heather Drusen takes you inside a world of the ascendant patriot movement and meet militia members and far right activists who are on simultaneously preparing to fight for uh, fight the government and become part of it. Nearly a year after January 6th, U.S. Capitol riot, this one shadowing movement has never been more relevant. And this is something that Cyril has been reporting on um, about the way that this patriot movement um, has been, you know, appearing all over Bucks County. Right. And so why do I put these three, all this stuff together in one kind of bucket? Well, in part because what we see happening is a national coordinated effort to use these local sites of contestation, right? School boards in particular, <clears throat> to foster the flames of division and extremism and get people kind of, you know, like chewing on the red meat, right? And getting all worked up as a way of driving turnout to the 2022 elections and 2024, right? So you have this, and, you know, again, if you put all that, you know, put all that, that stuff together, you see there's big money at play here. We've discovered a lot of that on the podcast. We've discussed that a lot on this podcast. Uh, Cyril's been reporting on this stuff. You go over Rick Smith's show, you're going to find out more about this. You look at what's happening Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, you're going to find out them talking about this. You see great reporting coming out of Philadelphia. NPR, um, WHYY, has been doing some super reporting on this, um, starting to pay attention to some of the extremists in our midst. And we need to understand it for what for what it is. Now, as much as, you know, like platforms like MSNBC and stuff want to focus so much on Donald Trump. Right. I mean, you know, Sean and I have been hammering this for years. You know, it's like Trump bad is not like a coherent political strategy. Right. Um, and all those things that I just mentioned are a perfect example of why that's the case, about why Trump bad is not enough. Right. We're seeing a Republican Party that has continuously um, become more and more extreme, 
<clears throat> we have seen a Republican Party that has welcomed uh, kind of white supremacists into its midst. Uh, we've seen a white uh, uh, a Republican Party that has stood by as an attempted coup on our, uh, on, on our government um, was happening in broad daylight. And even those Republicans who initially came out and said, this, this cannot stand, we cannot have this attack, now act as if it never happened. Right. That is the Republican Party right now, and that is Republican Party base. And the way they have drive they drive this stuff is through these cultural these culture wars. And what's become more and more dangerous now is that they've realized they can take real things, right, and turn them into fabricated culture wars. Right. So make real things that are happening in the world make it feel as though it's a conspiracy or it's a culture war issue. Right. The most obvious example of this is the coronavirus pandemic. Right. What is a which is a thing that exists in the world, a pandemic virus. Right. And that is actually killing people. Right. We have, I believe, the highest kind of death rate by, you know, proportional population than anyone else in the world. 860,000 people were killed by this in our country alone. And. Instead of addressing the issue by going to the root cause of it, by trying to do common sense things like wear a mask and get a vaccine and things like this, the Republicans and the right wing media machine have basically turned this into a badge of the culture war. Right. So much so that, you know, not wearing a mask is considered a political statement something about your virility or something about your strength or something about your freedom, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's bonkers, right? And where these culture wars are, are most severe is where you see really kind of high death rates and where you're, you're seeing, you know, just really problematic behavior. I mean, it's really, you know, what's frustrating for me is that this is not an old strategy. This is a strategy that the right wing has used, you know, God, as long as I've been following politics. So for whatever, 40 plus years, <laughs> seriously, since I was in like high school. It's a strategy of whipping people up, exacerbating the worst aspects of ourselves, of section to foment racism to foment division, to look for a them that we can place all of our, or all of their, all of their grievances on, and then attack them. I mean, you know, this is it. We're living through it right now. And the thing that strikes me is that, you know, we're doing it at a time now that our, you know, our democratic institutions are not doing so great. Right. Um, as as great organizers are out there, as amazing organization that is taking place, um, you know, we don't have a whole lot of folks or we don't have I'm sorry, we don't have a whole lot of strength in our institutions right now. I mean, just watch what's going on. I mean, you look at the national level. At the national level, we can't pass the protection for voting rights. And yes, I know why. And there's several layers of that why. But, you know, I go back to, you know, a discussion that we had, um, I think it was last week on the show or something like this, where, you know, compromise is not the end. Right. Compromise may be part of a process. But the goal is not to compromise at all costs. Like sometimes you need to win decisively. And there are certain things we need to win on right now. If we care about democracy, the protection of voting rights, 100%, we need to win that. But there is no pathway there right now. The Biden administration, for 
for reasons I'll never understand, refuse to use executive orders to accomplish very basic things. I mean, the American prospect, we've talked about this on the podcast. God, for like since since 2020, before 2020, right? Wait, let me think. Yeah, it's before 2020, 2019. I want to say it was like it was like early 2019 when the American prospect, they put out their kind of day one agenda. And basically what they did in their team of researchers, they, researchers, they went through what could be done through executive orders, right? And the way that that works, right, is that so the under the Constitution, the executive, the president, right, their exec, I mean, the president and that the whole executive office, right, is charged with executing the laws, right? Congress passes laws. And the executive, the president, has to ensure that they're carried out. Now, the how they're carried out, there's wiggle room there. And so what the American prospect did is looked at if there were political will in the White House, this is what they could do. Everything from student debt to climate action to protection of voting rights to protections of immigrants. I mean, right down the list. And there were all things that would not need to, that did not require 50 votes in the Senate or 60 votes in the Senate. They could be just carried out by Biden himself with a stroke of a pen. That is exactly why so many people get frustrated about, like, you know, Biden's promise to eliminate some student debt, right? I mean, you could eliminate all student debt with a stroke of a pen. Right. But he said, oh, no, 10,000. Right. Schumer and Elizabeth Warren were pushing for 50,000. And so Biden basically punted by saying, oh, we're going to study it and we're going to have a report. And it was reported that the report is finished, sitting somewhere, someplace. And yet the Biden administration has not acted, nor have they come out and say, based upon our findings, we can't do this. Nope. They just kind of say, oh, we're still looking into this. Meanwhile, the child's tax credit, that's, you know, done, expired. So that's gone, right? The kind of, you barely got to the point where it's extended the, um, um, uh, not the amnesty, but basically suspended student loan payments. But that doesn't mean there's, you know, the student loans have gone away. That's a cheap political trick when he could just cut the debt. Right? And that was, look... The American prospect, these are not the, you know, they're not the people who are supposed to know all this stuff, right? But they got policy experts. They had them comb through this. They went to lawyers and all this stuff. Guess what? Democrats and the Biden administration and the Schumer and Schumer's office and all these people, they have access to the same specialities, right? The same experts could tell them the same thing if they wanted to, but they're not. So what do we need? We need number one. We need, if we care about democracy, we need to protect voting rights, period. And we need that yesterday. Can't afford to wait anymore on that, but here we are. Number two, climate action. I'm sorry, but we're not headed in a positive direction. And now you hear this kind of this talk about like, Oh, we're going to break up the Build Back Better bill. And yeah, Joe Manchin said that he's willing to talk on this. Are you kidding me? We're going to play out soap opera politics. I mean, Jesus Christ. This is the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. Like, literally, it makes it, you know, it's. It is that feeling of being gaslit. It is that feeling of, you know, there is a crisis. All the evidence says the crisis, but then you live in the situation and you listen to these people talk and they don't seem to be responding or talking or acting in a way that like, as if there's a crisis, don't look up, <laughs> right? It's, it's disorienting and disturbing. 
Number three, I would like to say, say, you know, pandemic response, but it looks like we're just ready to let people go. Hope you make it. Cheers. Mm -hmm. We've given up on that. We need to address massive inequality. That's not going to happen. So I'm not sure where this takes us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not sure where this goes. When we see this collection of organizing happening on the right that is well-funded and purposeful, right? What are they doing? They're working at their base to get them activated and organized, right? And they're funding them. They're coordinating, they're coordinating messaging and practices nationwide. They're sharing with each other strategies and tactics. And they know, because they do this all the time, that the local news media is going to cover it as a local issue. So it's going to be like, oh, these parents are upset. Well, how about that? Right? These parents are really upset. And we're going to go talk to these parents and ask them why. And they're going to say things because they've got their little script. We think parents should have more control over our schools. Parents, not politicians. Right? <laughs> and, and, and how do how is it not like reported on as such. The fact is, I'm not going to go after those local journalists, although they need pressure, certainly. Right? Because I know that they're working on shoestring budgets right now. Because we've allowed the market to work its magic, which means newspapers and magazines have become yet other profit centers. And how do you get profit out of something like a newspaper and growing profit? You cut staff, you make them work longer hours, you push productivity, right? That's what it is. I mean, this is like as, as old as uh, capitalism. I mean, that's how you get more, that's how you squeeze more profit, period. So what do we do? I think about that a lot. What do we do? What do we have the energy to do? What are we willing to do? And, you know, I don't say that like... Uh, I don't say that like I really have the answer here, you know. I don't like many of you. I'm, I'm exhausted half the time. My family got, you know, we got, we got all stressed out through this pandemic, through the Trump years. And I know, I know the answer, right? You know, like intellectually, right? And the, the, the answer is to organize. That's always the answer, right? And to organize smartly. Right. You know, I've talked to kind of several groups of people, you know, just, or, you know, collections of people over the past couple of months, too. And it's like, you know, and, and you're sharing just basic stuff about, you know, how we organize. About, you know, using our opportunities, not just to kind of show up for a march. Right. But then once you you've got people someplace, <laughs> what do you do with them? Right? That's the, the baseline stuff. You think like an organizer, right? Not a mobilizer, an organizer. 
right? Yes, we need to mobilize. Yes, we need to get people out for things, right? That's to mobilize them, right? That's not organizing. That's mobilizing. We have an event. We set the event. We've got our program. We're going to get our program together. We're going to get people there. That requires the tools of the professional middle class, right? That requires things like PR and um, getting announcements out and writing in flyers and all the kind of all that stuff, which is absolutely critical, right? All that stuff was absolutely important to get people to that event. From an organizer's mentality, right? Yes, okay, you're going to get people to an event, but why are you getting people to the event? Yes, the event itself is important for you know whatever issue we're talking about. But you're getting them in that place in order to connect with them, get their emails, their addresses, their phone numbers, so that you can get them to the next thing. Right? Jane McAlevey is great about this, right? And you read her books. Uh, Jane McAlevey is absolutely phenomenal. And she talks exactly about this stuff. And she talks about, you know, look, when you get people together in a room, right? You're getting people together in a room. Yes, it's an accomplishment to get people there in the room. But your goal to get them in the room is so that you can figure out what you're going to do and then have people go do it to build your organizing committee, to build your kind of core of organizers. And not everybody that shows up is going to be an organizer, right? There may be some people that are, are just going to be really good mobilizers. That's great. That's super, right? And like I said, we need that. But we also need the folks that are going to say, okay, now we need to start focusing on organizing, right? And thinking about what it is that we need to get people to do next, right? I think about this is just an example, right? So there was a, uh, you know, look at that in, in Kutztown. Right. We talked about this in the show on Friday on Kutztown. There was a, a group of students, high school students who were pissed off about seeing books getting banned. So they decided to form a banned book club. That's awesome. Right. And then in Perkasy, right, there was or Penridge District or whatever. There was uh, there were books being banned. Right. So some parents and some other community groups and stuff decided to say, OK, we're going to stock these little libraries with uh, with those banned books. That's great. Right. All good stuff. And they had a reading, which was my favorite part about it. They had a reading where they were kind of reading these banned books together, right? And so I look at that and I say, okay, all those people come to that space and they're to that reading. What do you want them to do next? Right? So we have this thing, you know, this is what George Lakoff was really good about in his book, you know, Don't Think of Elephants. And he, you know, it's always stuck with me is when, you know, the, uh, on the left or progressives or kind of like post-enlightenment thinkers, <laughs> right? Um, we, we have this mentality, right, that it is, you know, we're going to know the truth and the truth will shut us, set us free, right? But there's a fallacy about that. The fallacy is that stating the facts by themselves or showing up or demonstrating a truth or the proof or whatever it might be, right, is an essential part of the process. But it is not the end. Stating the facts, stating the truth, sharing that now by itself does not produce social change. I call that magical thinking. Like when I teach these classes in, say, activist writing media or kind of social media or so, uh, new media story change and things like this. I use that language a lot, right? Magical thinking. We're going to get out of the realm of magical thinking. Like, hey, we're going to get everyone to sign up for this thing. And they're going to show up at this march. And they show up at the march, right? And then they're, they're going to have this great experience. And then it's going to change their mind and the world is going to be better, right? I mean, nobody actually says it like that. But when you start pushing on it, okay, so you want people to, um, to uh, show up at this rally, okay? That's going to be part of your campaign. Okay, they show up at the rally um, and like what happens next, right? Because the goal, when I, we talk about this stuff, the goal is is to actually accomplish something, to get some sort of agenda point done, right? So so there's it. So you're going to try to convince people to kind of show up to see that's true. So And then how do we get that thing done? Well, then people will just start stop doing what they used to do, right? Or they were changed their mind. No, 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 it doesn't happen that way, right? We got to get them directed towards concrete action. 
right? And I will be, I'll be the first. I'll, I'll, I will say this publicly. I am, I'm, I'm an okay organizer, right? I'm, I'm okay at it. I'm a little bit chaotic. I'm a little bit too, I'm a little bit too chaotic, a little overall the place. I'm kind of, I, 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 I have a thought process, which is not very systematic. I have to force myself to kind of like to be more organized, things like that. Right. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put myself down. I'm just trying to say, I recognize that in myself. Right. I recognize that, you know, I'm not, but I can, t I could point you to really good organizers. Right, you've heard me talk about my friend, Mike, right. Several times. There's a great organizer in terms of the follow-up and focus on details. My friend, Amy Lynch Beniak, fantastic organizer. My friend, Seth Khan down at Westchester, fantastic organizer. When you come across those those people, they're like gold. Because they, they got energy and the sense of step by step by step by step in this direction. And we all got to pay attention to our comfort levels too as well. I mean, I'll, like, I'll, I'll fully admit, right? You know, I never understood this. I think I probably told this story before. But when I uh, was down in Washington, D.C., when we were doing labor organizing down there and the, I was we were organizing a, a adjunct and graduate student, in fact, our union, right? I was a uh, an adjunct faculty member at George Washington University for a couple of years and got involved with the unionization effort there. I was on the organizing committee. And uh, I remember we gave this one, we had this one rally. And um, I was one of the people that was, you know, slated to speak. And... Um, we had we had just gotten um, some really solid support from the UAW as part of our organizing efforts. Um, they eventually that that campaign ended up ended up with SCIU um, for complex and long reasons. But uh, at the time, UAW and they were willing to kind of help us put all, pull off an event with some money, and so we were able to bring in um, Stanley Arano as one of our speakers. All right, um, Gary Rhodes was the other speaker. I think they came in. And there are folks that do this great work in kind of labor and higher education and so on. And Stanley Aronops is a funny guy, right? Some guy, I read all of stuff and all of that. And when I was speaking, right, he started uh, jumping up and down. He's like, you're an agitator. You're an agitator. And I said back to him, I said, like, you know, right there in the middle of the thing, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm an organizer. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, you're an agitator. I know what, what I see. What? I'll never forget that. The funniest thing, see this guy jumping down. You're an you're not, you're an agitator. And he meant that as a compliment, right? Um, but at the time, I had never thought about it in those terms. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's some truth there, right? I think that the idea of kind of, opening something up, right, of agitating as, 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 uh, um, God, what, I'm just spacing the guy's name. I can't believe it. Um, you know, th there was always, it'll come back to me, but the, the, the idea, the, the agitator, you know, in the washing machine, that center thing there, right, is the agitator. And the agitator is the thing that kind of turns things around to help get the dirt out, <laughs> right? And once you get the dirt out, you can get things clean, right? Um, and so I think, you know, if I talk about there's my that that's where I kind of a gravitate towards. Does that mean that therefore I shouldn't do any? No, no, no. Right. I'm still needed. Right. But, you know, and I know that when I doing some of that kind of organizing work, it gets me out of that comfort zone of the agitation. Right. And having to kind of grapple with some of this kind of, you know, some of the the step by step stuff in or like an, in organizing. And we all have to have that kind of conversation. But I do think that, you know, some of the discussions that I've been hearing going on, I think are the right ones to be having right around Bucks County is that not only do we need to build off the organizing that we did, um, that people did in uh, different communities did in um, around the school board elections, but we need to start building those networks amongst those groups. Right. And, you know, ideally, right. You'd have a, a party, Right. Like a Democratic Party that would be also invested in that process of building power and organizational networks. But if not, we just do it on our own. Right. 
I mean, Amy Ross and I, they were, Amy and Ross were on, uh, Amy Connect and Ross um, McLennan were on the uh, the show last week, and we talked a little about this as part of the Bucks County Roundtable. Building those networks, right? Um, and and not just for numbers, but we so we can learn from each other, right? Um, and th- that we have secure people. So we don't want people just to kind of, you know, that's the problem with the with the mobilization only model, right? If we only mobilize, right, we get people out to vote, great, but then what? Then people, you know, we've already told them we just we need them for this thing, and then they do this thing, and then in the absence of another ask, they're done, and then they go back home, and they forget about it. Not any fault of theirs, right? It's because that's what we ask them to do: get out the vote. Okay, got out the vote. Did my job. Now I'm going to get back to my thing, all right? <laughs> all right? We need to find that way back in. Got out to vote. Now what? What are people going to be excited to go to next? How do we build power next? And I do think that, you know, we, we need people like Jay McAlevey and a you know, bunch of other organizers um, to learn from, to help our organizing efforts. And I've said this before, too, as well. It's like, you know, and Rick Smith, you know, he'll tell you this anytime you listen to his show. Is that, you know, labor on the left, labor was really the historical depository of organizing knowledge. Right. Because labor, organized labor unions. That's what they did. They organized diverse groups of people that did not always always coalesce around a particular ideology, but around a set of interests in space and convinced on those ways, right? To get on board this strike, to get on board this contract, to sign a union card, to do these specific things along these steps in order to get this thing that is going to protect them and they're going to own. And yes, there's bad unions that did that and they went away and those kind of people just never spoke to those workers again. And then there's good unions who basically kept their workers involved, they kept their, you know, members involved, like wanted them to be involved, and the members were excited to be involved. That's what we see with the Chicago's Teachers Union. There's a reason why they keep on striking. There's a reason why the Chicago Teachers Union basically said, no, we're not going back to work. We don't care what you say. Oh, you're telling me that we can't strike because it says in our contract we can't strike outside of our contract? Well, guess what? We're, we're not going in. We're not going to work. What are you going to do? <laughs> Right, woo! You threaten me? I dare you. What are you going to do? Who's going to teach the kids then? Because they're mobilized, they act collectively and concertedly, and they understand their power as located in their numbers and their connectivity, not in one individual out there negotiating with some kind of rando on the administration side or on the corporate side. You know, not the behind the the scenes deal. That's not power. That's kind of like you know mucky mucky influence power is when you have people mobilize and they can walk away they can say no collectively then everything shuts down that's where our power is now i'm not saying look in, in a context we're talking about organizing in bucks county and beyond not every situation is a workplace right i get that but that's why you have these kind of like learning from people who do social movement unionism, learning from people that did the civil rights movement, learning from people who organize for kind of, you know, for, for women's rights, for LBGTQ rights, the people who are and still in it. That those people are golden. And I think we need to find ways of kind of bringing them in to help train us. Right. So anyways, I've gone on and on and on. So um, I think I'm going to. I'll call it up. Did I have anything else up here that I wanted to really just just throw in? God, there was something else that's sticking in my brain. Sticking in my brain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's not it. Let me look at one thing real quick. I know this is like completely bad form, but I'm kind of in bad form mode tonight, I think. Nope, I don't know. Can I give you, can I tell you one kind of cool thing? 
before I uh, sign off for the night. That's kind of a happy thing. Uh, this kind of mirrors a little bit my, our Friday show because, I, you know, I talk about space news in the end. Um, but this is the, one of my happy places is uh, is space and exploration and things like this. And we can talk about all the reasons why that's problematic. Um, but it also makes me happy. Um so this is uh, the James Webb Telescope, which I've been talking about on the show for the past couple of weeks. Um, it finally reached its destination, uh, which is called the L2 point. It's this Lagrange point. Um, and so basically it's the, the gravity, the, the, the centripetal force of uh, the of the orbit and the kind of the gravity of the earth that forms this spot, which is kind of stagnant in space, right? There's nothing there around which it's orbit, but it's in between those two. Like, so there's another one on the other side of the earth too, as well. The L1 point between the earth and the sun, that stable point of gravitational center. Um, and so the James Webb telescope is basically out there a million miles away from earth, um, fully deployed, and um, now they're going to start work on making sure everything is adjusted, um, that they're to get all the mirrors, um, the kind of micro adjustments to get all the reflections of all those hexagonal mirrors uh, focused on that one point into the reflector dish um, and to begin sending images there. It's just it's just remarkable. Um, and I have to admit, I'm a little bit uh, I have this like these moments of like anticipated awe of seeing some of the images that they're going to be able to um, show us from deep space, image things that we've never seen before, things that get us closer to the edge of the universe, um, or maybe not, <laughs> right? Um, the James Webb Telescope is like significantly larger than the uh, Hubble Telescope. And remember, the images from Hubble basically fundamentally change what we saw in the sky. And the James Webb Telescope plans to do that too. So it has arrived. Um, it is um, in uh, orbit. Let's see. Let me make sure I'm getting that correctly. It says, after traveling, this is from New York Times, after traveling nearly 1 million miles, the James Webb Telescope, Space Telescope, arrived at its new home on Monday. The spacecraft's arrival checks off another tricky step as scientists on Earth prepare to send at least a spend at least a decade using the observatory to study distant lights from the beginning of time. The telescope launched on space launched to space on December 25th with astronomers all over the world holding their breaths but the 10 billion dollar telescope still needed power um, needed to power through the first leg of the setup phase and earlier this month astronomers resumed breathing when the observatory unfurled its heat shield deployed its mirrors and other instruments with few surprises a remarkable feat given the telescope's um, novel design and engineering complexity and around on Monday around 2:05 p.m. eastern time Engineers confirmed that the James Webb Telescope successfully reached its final destination. <sighs> Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So there's always that stuff. Always stuff. So anyways, uh, I hope you all are doing well tonight. Um, uh, thank you, everybody who sent me messages uh, ahead of the show. Um, and uh, I, I'd love to hear... <clears throat> I'm going to, I know I've threatened this multiple times, threatened it, I shouldn't say, um, basically to do some uh, patrons only stuff. Um, and I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to kind of uh, collaborate with some ideas about what to do uh, with the show uh, on Fridays or when's kind of a good way of repurposing it. So we're not sure what's going to happen when, because uh, Sean's schedule just got all messed up. And, um, so we shall see. Uh, we shall see. But I'd love to hear your ideas, um, ideas for future shows and so on. Um, I know I've gotten some great feedback for some people, um, some great ideas. I've got some things in the works. Um, I would definitely love to um, – I, I, I'm reaching out to a couple um, different groups. I'd love to get some um, some different organizers um, on here to talk about organizing. I want to get some um, – um, some students that are doing organizing at colleges and universities and high schools and junior highs um, to talk about what um, how they're organizing around their schools, around uh, kind of what's happening in their neck of the woods. Um, and, you know, to get some uh, kind of more authors on to talk about um, some of the research and their work. So that's all coming up here um, out to Coop Live in the coming weeks and months. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Um, always appreciate you. Um, always appreciate um, this space. Um, if for nothing else as an opportunity to kind of 
kind of reach out with some of these kind of ideas and with the conversations that follow. So um, I want everybody to take care of yourselves, uh, be safe out there, and, uh, you know, keep the organizing coming. Whoa. Sorry, that was not what I was supposed to hit. <laughs> uh, so keep the all the organizing coming because I know we're going to need it going forth. Um, <clears throat> yep, it's been a rocky night because it's my first week back to school. So take care, everybody. Here we go. See ya!